as we were saying before the cameras went on, uh, I was going to make this comment anyway. Avi mentioned to me after the shear that he was a little surprised I came to give the shear last night. Uh, if I sound a little tired, I don't know. Good. So Avi, you escaped getting an eye on her. I'll mention. <laughs> so, is it on? It's good you notice that. It's yeah, okay. So, um, so Avi mentioned he was surprised I gave it last night. If it was, I think it was pretty coherent. Everybody followed? I, I didn't make, uh, I was, I, it was two days straight. I, I realized there was no night between. I was wondering why at 7 o'clock I was so tired. But I, uh, I got through it. But that's not about me. It's about you. I, every day, Yaakov Inu teaches us something in the Sikh's Parsha. Uh, the Sarshal Esav teaches us something, which I'll mention briefly now. Maybe we'll expand, it, expand on it over Shabbos. But the, um, the fact that the day, whatever you do during the day to pay the bills, has to revolve, the day, the week, the month, has to revolve around your learning. At the end of the day, uh, besides the wonderful mitzvahs of the tzlaka and chesed and all the other things you're doing when you work, you're doing chesed with your family. Lamaisa tamatari kulu means that everything revolves around it, and every single thing that goes on from the sultan's point of view is to distract us from that. That's why I made that comment, not about you. That you know, people are just plugged in watching things uh, 29 times a day in case they miss some tragedy or something like that. You have to know what's going on. We have to watch tablets as a community and and after tshuva and they have to raise the bar and the mitzvahs that are connected kulam in terms of generating schusim. It's the Talmud Torah, and that's why, if you wanted to know, is that certain kufa, the more learning there is, the more the Satan tries to distract everybody. And uh, he's given every generation many tools to do so, tools which might seem innocuous and might seem into our mitzvah. You've got to know what's going on, but not every six minutes, uh, which is what's happening with most people. And somebody sneezes and there's 78 WhatsApps and, you know, analyzing the situation. It's, it's not mitigating the tragedy. You know, this one, not the one three days ago, not the one six days ago. But the Askanim, we have good Askanim, are uh, trying to... Uh, figure out how to protect and how to do the proper shtadlis. That's very important. And the people who are not directly involved have to dive in and have to learn more. The reason I mentioned Yaakov Inu is because the Chavos Chaim is a famous kasha. Why was the Sutton interested in attacking Yaakov Inu Davka? This week's parasha, he fought all night and he almost got killed and he got injured. Why Yaakov Inu? Why did the Sutton attack Yaakov Inu? He had tennis, tennis, and he was always causing trouble. But why, why wasn't there a frontal attack without a battle to the death for 12 hours at night? You don't find that by Abmavina, you don't find that by Yisrael The Chavaz Chaim says that, and this could be misquoted, so don't do that. The Chavaz Chaim says that there are three pillars, and Yiddishkeit has a need for all of them. But Abmavina represented Chesed, which is a vital, you have to do both, a vital midah and it really bothered the Sutton that he was doing chesed and being Makara people, and it really bothered him. However, every general knows you don't have unlimited ammunition, you don't have unlimited troops, and you want to win the war, you've got to lose some battles, and you've got to hold your fire, because otherwise you'll use it up. And that's why, going back to our little year, remember we discussed every rifle has an automatic and a semi-automatic. They tell the soldiers, like from day one of training, don't shift to automatic because unless it's all over and you have nothing to lose because you're going to run out of bullets. And you're just going to shoot wildly. That's not... Sutton knows that, being a general and very sophisticated and advanced and experienced. 
So it bothered him to no end. And then Yitzchak Avinu, the Avedah, and the Yira really bothered him. He still held his fire. And then Yaakov Avinu came, and he represented Teira, and the Sultan said, this is too much. And that's why he attacked Yaakov Avinu, because he was represented Teira. And that he can't stand. So we have to keep that in mind. It doesn't really make a difference whether you're learning uh, an hour a day, two hours a day, five hours a day, ten hours a day, whatever your maximum is, but you have to know that every minute counts and every distraction counts, and the distractions that are necessary are not distractions. They are a mitzvah, and they're the askanas, and they're the tefillahs, and the chesed, and all the other, that's all part of Yiddishkeit. Uh, and when you're not doing any of that, or if it's actually last day of you got to learn. And that really helps Kaisal the most, because that's Kenekakulam. So the reason I get back to your comment, uh, it's to the credit I was exhausted, and the, the reason I uh, made it such a short trip in the first place to the consternation and uh, protest of my family members there is because I didn't want to leave in the first place, but that's for I kept using like for a year and a half. <laughs> so it's quite good. It's strong, but I, I hate canceling Sheer because there are a lot of people listening, Baruch Hashem. So it's to the uh, credit of the people who day in and day out uh, come in after a long day and are tired and um, are. Uh, being nice and average because they know that's what the day revolves around. So the person giving the shear has to push himself. That's the so it's not my credit. It's uh, which is a short version of what I told you, but it reminded me of Yaakovin who's maybe somebody asked me something about that today, but I'll get it to this. I reminded them, I said, it's uh, everything is a tragedy and this was really it's scary. It's scary and you gotta dive in and you gotta do the proper shadless uh, and then you gotta look up in Shokhanach and Rambam and Shas to find out what's the best way to generate protection. And uh, I'll just add one more thing. I have, like any of my short trips, about 78 drushes of the various things I've heard. But on Matzah Shabbos, a cousin of mine came to see me. And uh, she first said, I apologize, my husband couldn't come. She drove from like an hour and a half away. She lives in a small village near Stayrot. I don't know if anybody here ever heard of Stayrot. You've heard of it. Okay. So this village is a stone's throw, which means in English, a missile's shot. And I didn't know this because I depend on you guys to give me the main headlines that I'm here. I'm certainly an Israel. I'm not going to know. We know here, and sometimes it looks worse about what's going on in Israel missiles than they do in Israel, except if you live near Steyrot. So she came, she says, I apologize, my husband uh, couldn't come, had to put the kids to sleep, and he had to go learn, whatever, whatever it was. Then she, as the conversation continued, she told me, but the background to that was, she said, yeah, tonight was pretty bad. We had a barrage of missiles like we haven't had in a long time, like since the week and a half before. Uh, I said, really? I didn't, it's a cousin I see once a year. Uh, so the Rebbitson does in a very smart way. She makes one malal malka for everybody. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so I get uh, three minutes with everybody. It was nice. And um, she said, yeah, you know what the amazing thing is? I've been living there eight years. We're constantly under attack. I said, how do you live like that? She said, I'll tell you something, and if it wasn't, I know these people, they don't exaggerate. She said, we're in a place, I don't remember the name of this particular uh, village, but we're surrounded by six of them, and Stay Road is like one over, like uh, two miles down, three miles down. We have never had a missile fall in our village, and we have the Iron Dome right outside the village, and we watch the missiles come, and we and it hits about 90% of them, and Every single one has been hit, except for us. I said, besides your tremendous sickness, what do you attribute that to? So she said, we're the only one that has Kailun. Hmm. The one, one over there is not from at all. This one's quasi from, we have uh, five Kailun. 
stay road has a big yeshiva. I don't know how big stay road is vis-a-vis the thing, but it reminded me of the comment that Rab Chaim said during, I was there through a couple of wars. You gotta be Rab Chaim to say this, because he said, just learn, there are no missiles, or skulls falling in the neighborhood. And no missiles fell. They had, a, they had one very close, and they went to look, and if there was ever a border dispute between Tel Aviv and Bnei Brak, they just settled it. But, Haladavahu, that doesn't mean this is not the form for this. South Gerala, Rosh and you can have their Timinacham and Bnei Teirah, but she said, this is a, a regular, I don't hold anybody's regular, if you can live in a city like this, live in a city, so I'll have this chus and be under rocket rain all the time and say this, but she, she's not a lady who lives in the, uh, in the Himmel. She said, I just, I've been there for years and years. It happens every single time, and this is constant. I haven't had one yet. Doesn't it? He says, you can't explain it. I'm in the middle. She told me this after show you a map. They fall, we watch them. They're here, 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 and here. So, yeah, call it what you want, but uh, the terror is definitely a Shemira, and uh, it doesn't always Shemir, you know, in Chevron 1929, the yeshiva was attacked, but the whole community was attacked. But, Haladavru, if you want to talk about, everybody wants to know what they can do, it says, what you should do is, there are practical things to do, and there's a tefillah not in this order, and if you're uh, davening and you're, uh, you're in between checking the news every five minutes and keeping up to date and wasting precious minutes doing so, when you get the report after after a week and you're not really involved and you're not learning then you're doing the public a disservice that's the uh, that's the takeaway so I was going to speak about Yaakovino anyway but that's the answer to your uh, to your question and um, I have cousins in the estate road who uh, just told me that and I, uh, I yeah, even though we know this when you hear it firsthand, it's uh, frightening and, and very enlightening at the same time so since I I'm not giving the drosha this Shabbos morning here, you just heard it, part of it. <laughs> we'll uh, get the expanded version, maybe in Passaic. Okay, uh, let's go to the Achiezer. We're going to begin gelatin. The uh, Niflas Abari I was just discussing with Sadiq. And not only will you learn a lot of, about Kashras here and about the lumdis of uh, various sugiyas, what to compare, what to contrast, you'll learn a lot about science. Mamash Niflas Abari, you think the bees are smart, and we didn't even get finished with them yet. Uh, the uh, bones here are pre-programmed bones. What are you going to do with bones already? Well, the whole suga gelatin is about bones and, and the niflis aberi, what a kosh put into a bone which is not edible. And part of this big question is, well, is it really not edible? You're taking, you're extracting things that have been used to manufacture food. Well, last night we had a stomach that was as dry as wood and after the shear we were discussing, I think, or dry as wood, might not mean everything has moisture, right? But it's dry as wood, and it's a trefa stomach, it's from an avela. And Ramah, Paskin, you could store milk in there. Ah, they're clearly getting something out of it, because the enzymes are acting. Didn't bother the Ramah. So that's the opening key, that's why we did that first, is you can have something dry as a bone, and according to some pays here, it's still not going to bother us, even though we're clearly extracting something, hence the gala, pacha, and whatever else you're doing. Yes? Yes, yes, yeah. So that was, uh, go back, that was, uh, we had a, a three or four share on that, that was the uh, preamble here. 
But yes, and all these sukkies are related, even though they appear in different places in the Shas, because it's, they're debating similar issues, and that is what's considered a change, what's considered pan chadashis, and what's considered an distraction. Is this a riot of the food? And then, of course, if it's a food, if it's dried up afterwards, it's a chaz of an ear. We didn't get to that part yet. So just like by the stomach, Rab Chaim is, uh, is going to base a lot of his hatter on the fact, as we will see inside, the fact that it's a bone, it's a dried bone, and it's we're going to deal with the Ramam we started with. The Ramam seems to say it's the Rabbanon. He's going to deal with that. And he's going to hold that there's nothing here. Ah, Ruchayim is a new full well. Because he describes the process at the beginning. New full well, they're extracting something from the bone. They're cooking it out. So he said, yeah, that doesn't necessarily make it food. That's going to be one of the sniff from which is a, an absolutely fascinating idea that you can have something that's clearly food grade or reacting on food, but it doesn't necessarily make it an Eichel at least in the gelatin sugya, and we're going to use it for other places as well. So let's start. He's going to describe the process uh, very briefly. Page 7 of your handout. Second column, Oisfei, Tshuva Sachiyeza, Simit Laman Gimel. Bedover, Shailas, Hadras, Gaina, Imbev Shalahachshir, Min Avachadosh, have a new invention. It wasn't so new. They were making gala for a long time. But commercially, the application was new, and they were making, this is the beginning, of Mezer lived at at the 1800s, the 1900s, and lived till the beginning of the war, till uh, 1940, 40, 40, 41. And um, they were starting to use it commercially, which is why the Shaila was coming up from Akasha's point of view. They had Hechsherim in Europe before the war. They just weren't. Uh, matter of fact, one of the, I think it was you. Were you the one, or was, was it your, uh, your colleague? One of the Yekis, we have a few Yekis here, so I, I never remember which one is, uh, is which because they all have such interesting information from the uh, Altaheim. Um, it wasn't you about the pharmacy? You brought me a whole booklet, a Pesach guide, in Germany in 1930-something, or 20-something? Fascinating. I don't read German that well, but it was him? Okay. Very, it had a whole Pesach guide with medications. So I said, this is very valuable for two things. First of all, people should know Kashrus didn't start in America. Of course not. But they, they, Rabchaim is writing true before the war, and he's talking about a real contemporary shayla, and it was being used commercially. The second interesting thing is people thought the chumrah being machmer for medicines born in America. That's clearly not true either. It's an important, uh, important akuda, uh, as is any historical document. You just have to know how to read it. So, Rabbi Chaim Ezer says, and he describes this new uh, fangled thing that was being used a lot. That's key, because, as I mentioned, and I'll mention at the end, the gelatin we have today is not from Atzmas Yevashis necessarily, which makes it a lot more problematic, which makes Rabbi Chaim Ezer, as quoting Rabbi Chaim Ezer as the make is not going to help us too much, because they're not pressing it that way. But first, let's see what the original Heter was. It's used in many different things. I don't know if they had marshmallows in Europe, but somebody can investigate the history of marshmallows. Um, gummy bears or whatever, they're probably using it for more sensible foods, but they were using it. Beer, Aifenos, Yasser, Pratia, Shulaychan, Atzmas, Yavesh, Sharnasab, Bahasid, Melach, Achakach, Samim, Atzamas, Amayim, Em, Chama, Ragam, Samatzamas, Bephosphor. So that's very important. There are a lot of things going in, called chemicals, just as a generic name, that if it wasn't nifsol in the first place, it's certainly going to become nifsol now. Does that make it mutter or not? We'll have to discuss. Vashlim, an akademi option, and then they cook it, and then they clean it, and then they dry it out. Again, v'atzmas, 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 v'at
And then they grind it up, and then they have a fine substance like sugar. Looks like sugar. It's not nothing to do with sugar, but he's describing it. So he wants to know uh, right now, of course, um, in circa whenever this is written before the war, they didn't have any kosher gelatin. So he wanted to know is it kosher anyway, and can we use it? So the Tamachachum sent to the Shaila suggested the following Sfar, which Abchaim Ezra agrees with. What we saw last night. Take the stomach, salt it, dry it out, and it's dried like a piece of wood. Ah, this Chalav sitting in Basar. In theory, this would apply to Kishka and all the other innards. The original Marmachim we saw two weeks ago, burnt bugs and all sorts of other things. Again, you read this in Shulchan Aruch and you wouldn't imagine 200 years ago, and you talk about modern food production, you would never imagine your worst nightmare. All this would be used in the finest delicacies. But this is more nogea than it was 200 years ago, uh, with the gelatin and with the excretion from all these types of bugs. That's the uh, shellac. And certainly atzamas, which never started off with the lav and avail and trefa, normally everything in the animal that's a behematamea is also, also, but not bones, because it's not meat. So it's not even this is the rice in the first place. So starting off at worst, and you see from the fact that the Ramal says if you dry it out completely, it's mutalagamre. So perhaps huadin over here, and as the Shach said, any part of the body, if the process is done, where it's completely dry. Does it make a difference if it has a taste? It doesn't have a taste. Well. I'm going to put that aside for a moment. There are many who claim gelatin, the resulting power, doesn't have a taste. For some odd reason, the jury's still out. As we sit here, and it's not going to be solved, as if it hasn't been solved until now, <laughs> they're not going to end this argument. I don't know why you can't line up 100 gallium to have them. You don't need gallium. We have kosher gelatin in the market for beef. You can have a, say, you know what, they have no name on it, so line up 1,000 yidin. So you'll say, what's the chance they're going to agree on <laughs> whether it tastes like something? But many people say it doesn't taste like anything, and others people, other people say that it has a faint Swedish-type flavor. It's not big enough can mean in between the two. Chaim Meza has somebody sniffing the huckle. He doesn't really care and doesn't really get into it, but your question is a good question anyway, because if you don't agree with these term, and we're going to see the other side of the story, you're left with, well, what happens if you're trying to Process gelatin in a plant that is good at what they do, but we want to bring in a kosher gelatin to make a kosher run, which is what they're doing. So fish gelatin is more popular than beef gelatin because it's cheaper, but there's, there's beef gelatin in the market, plenty of it. So do you have to cash them when you go in? That's a pretty important shiloh. In fact, the most important shiloh. It's the OU. They go in and they make a kosher run. They have to clean up, make sure it's not my mushers. Do they have to cash her? So... If it doesn't taste like anything, or it tastes bad, certainly if it tastes bad, maybe even if it doesn't taste like anything, the answer is no. Just clean it up well. That's our big savings in money and time. If it has even the faint positive taste, then you've got a kasha. And it's a machlekes as we sit here among the kasha agencies. They have different mahalkam, so 
That's uh, for here. Rechaim Eizer is gonna, in his opinion, have so many rayas as mutter anyway because they're pegim it that he doesn't really care if it comes out tasting good, and we have to address why that should be, which in Mitzvah we will address. Yes. So, so one very smart, caring father from this year once asked me about making a barbecue with uh, marshmallows, and I told him that the short answer is don't take the same, uh, what they call the, the pitchfork, but you know, that you, uh, right? Skewer. Skewer. That, that takes the steak, the sizzling steak. You don't have to put the marshmallow, which is where you'd put the marshmallow if you wouldn't ask the question. Most people don't take, we Americans don't rough it too much. When I went camping 100 years ago, uh, they would take a piece of wooden stick and, and put the marshmallow on and tell everybody it's going to be sterilized, uh, the stick and the marshmallow. So I wouldn't take that screw because if you, it's not a shot you want to get into if you have a stick or something else to have the sizzling grease touching the thing. With that said, <coughs> remind me, we will get to it in the Sugi Mitzvah Ramosha and others hold that it's not fleshics, even though Ramosha holds that the gelatin is trafe and you need kosher gelatin. And why is the chilek? We'll have to discuss. So. It's a good question, but we're a couple of weeks away from that. Uh, just remind me there. So there is room to be makel. Many pets can say it's not, uh, it's not fleshiks, and then when the fish is more complicated, chamir is a kantimini serum. So should we machmer the fish? Most pets can make on both of them, but there are machmirs. So if you have another clean fork, why, um, you know, why get into the shayla? Um, okay, so the first thing is, it's a bit pogum, which he's going to get back to soon. If it tastes good later, how does that help us? Second thing is, it's dry. We have the Ramah with the stomach. The problem is the Ramah, when he talks about the bones, says it's still in this to do our bones. So how do we get around that? So go to the next bracket, toward the bottom. Mashukasev HaRambam. Perek Dalam Hilchma Chos Asur Salach Yilches. Men'ar V'atzamez V'agidin Afa Pishu Asur HaRezeh Potter. And if you recall, from a week and a half ago, we saw this Ramam inside, and very important to see inside. It's the Lushan here, Alpha Pishu, Osarese, Pater, has Ramesha and many others commenting that's an odd Lushan to use. If Ramaj would just say Pater, so we know Pater means Pater, but also we know it's the Ramam. Ram doesn't use that Lushan. He says, Alpha Pishu, Osarese, Pater. A lot of extra words there. So Ramesha felt that it might even be in his Dere, so just no Malchus. Abchaim Ezer is not assuming that. He's assuming it's at worst and it's the Rabbanon. Even on that, he's going to say the Ramam is talk, talking about fresher bones that are still somewhat moist. And the Ramam was not even talking about dry bones. That's a whole different reading of the Ramam. And the Eisrim are not going to agree with that shot in the Ramam. Let's see what he says. Now, uh, somebody can let me know later, maybe look it up overnight, uh, which bones have mayach, which bones don't? Don't all bones have marrow? Not all bones, okay. I mean, obviously not. I mean, he says, he says the, he's saying the Ramam is only talking about either they're fresh, moist, or they have mayach, so obviously they're bones without, but you have to know uh, where, isn't mayach, isn't bone marrow important for the operation of the bone? I'm just asking this out of, uh, never, never studied the bones. Doc, doctors in the room, what? No, not necessarily. Well, certain bones that have it. That certain bones that have it recognizable and certain bones that don't have it at all? Or it's always there, but it's not so recognizable. Bones, what? Birds have hollow bones. Yeah. So there's nothing in there? It's okay. Hollow, so, okay, so I'm just um, asking. Uh, it's obviously, there are, there are two types. So that's what he's saying. But I, I'm just, the reason I'm asking is the only point to know the Messias. 
is he referring to the fact that Ram's talking about recognizable marrow as opposed to the ones you can't see, but there's something in there anyway, but we don't yeah, care about that, or? There is something there. Okay, that, that's, that's why I'm asking. Uh, so, but right now, he says, the Rambam says, this is the bottom. He feels, yeah, there. doctor, Dr. Ackerman, you have a comment? You have any bones that don't have marrow? Yes, absolutely. There are tubular bones and spongy bones. Spongy bones are the ones that contain the bone marrow that makes blood cells. Okay. The tubular, the tubular bones contain primarily fatty deposits. Do they have any marrow at all? Only in the ends. Only in the ends where there are these bony cells. Okay, but is it is it recognizable as marrow? Because if all bones have some marrow, and Rabbi Chaim is saying that the Ramam, when he said it's in his dark bone, is only talking about the ones of marrow, then that's going to be a problem. Bones, all, all bones have the spongy component where there is this this the bone marrow that, but not the one that we recognize or not the one you want to eat and suck out on Shabbos afternoon. Well. That's not going to help us too much. Uh, okay, so we got to get the doctors to get on this. That's, that's going to be an issue. I just want to understand what Chaim is making a chilik in the Rambam, that the Rambam is only talking about the ones of marrow. I had a funny feeling, that's why I was asking, that they all have marrow. The question is how much. So Chaim was okay with the amount of marrow it had uh, or didn't have. Uh, you know, there's a famous machlekes between Amesha and Shlomo Zalman. There's no gay at the Chazar. I had a uh, Lel Shabbos. I was um, after the Suda, so I uh, told the family, since there were other people there, uh, that I'm going to learn. We were staying two minutes in the mirror, so I'll be back in an hour. So Mordechai asked me, where are you going to learn? I said, my best magician looks like a fine option. It's two minutes away. He says, I don't think you should do that. I said, I said why not? He said, you want to go learn or you want to answer Shaz in the Bochum? <laughs> So I said, I'll, I'll go for a couple hours. We'll split up the time. So he was right. Kachavi. So uh, first I made myself. It's fine. It's all good. Half of them went from the shul. Uh, so, uh, so I first uh, hid myself. And I know, I know my way around. So I can, uh, and then when I came out, so the first young man that uh, sees me says, oh, I said, we have a slight problem in the sikhsuch in the, in the dira. Uh, so what's the problem? So I'm not going to say uh, what the first shayla asked me was. I just realized on video because those Bacham are listening, so we're going to get that. Was, uh, we'll skip to the second one, which is no get to everybody. He said it was right before Shabbos, it was a busy air of Shabbos, and he's in charge of making the chont. The guy in charge of making the chont in the Dira is a very hush of a position. And we're talking about real status. Uh, you know, I, it's also very dangerous because if you mess up, you know, it could really get, uh, get kind of messy. Uh, so he didn't get around to it, and he just put it up like at 4.05, 4.06 to be exact, I think he told me. And Shkia in Yerushalayim last Shabbos was around 4.36. So, okay, put it up, got it going. And uh, then uh, after Meirav, or probably right before Adlaka, whenever the big Sikhsuch broke out, and the, some of the Bachram and the Dira told them that it was Chaza Treif and they have no trump for tomorrow. So as a Chaza Treif, he didn't throw in gelatin. It's Chaza Treif because, well... That was a shayla. He said, "Is it usher because you know the dushia? If it's not macham ben dosai and it wasn't macham ben dosai, it's actually a great shayla. If you want to chaz over the thing, but I want to go through all the halachas now, um, so I'll just say it quickly. So there are two one. Yeah. So well, that's the shayla. That's the problem because 
let, let me just tell you, the, the answer is it was mutter for a completely different reason. I said, well, what type of crockpot do you have? So there's the flatbed crockpot, you know, the thing, just the thing, and the thing goes over. So there seemed to have been an assumption, some of my diet or my held like this, or some said they had rayas, it doesn't have a chuva on it. Some of my diet, he didn't have a chuva, so it must be held with mutter because the wires were covered. Possibly, he did hold like that, he didn't hold like that, as they have rayas, he did. Maybe somebody held like that, but the Shaila just started like 15 years into crockpot use, which is, anybody remember that tufa? People were not putting down a tinfoil. So Shaila's, was that a mistake, or was the fact that wires are covered, doesn't need a bluff because it's covered? Problem is, there's no hecker. It's, that's the way it's made. The bluff is for a hecker, so at least pull off the knob. So, as you know, this is a machlekes by regular bluff. Do you need a bluff like this or a bluff like this? Over a um, stovetop, which nobody uses anymore. The minig was always a flat one, and that's a hacker. The knobs are still visible. It doesn't make a difference. If iron held, you should cover the knobs. Some say held, you only have to cover the knobs. And if that's true, then um, we, to be machmer, you just get a block like this. The problem is in a crock pot, you need something. The fact that why is it covered, but the, the knob is still there. So the best way to do it is to put down a sheet of tin foil and cover the knob or pull off the knob. And if you just put down the tinfoil, it's no different than putting down the bluff on the thing where it doesn't curve over the knobs. That's the guy with the bluff. The one that he was using is an insert where it goes all the way down. This is a shayla of hatmana. A different shayla, so you put a little um, pebble or something in there and a little a ball of tinfoil and just raise it up a drop so it won't be a full hatmana. I'm, all these are separate sugis. I just want to get to the shayla. And besides that, you should be taking a tinfoil from the outside on this side, going all the way through and coming out on the outside. So you have a hecker. If you do it on one side, you also have a hecker, but there should be something underneath uh, to be covering it if you hold the wires being covered is not enough. And preferably pull off the knob or cover the knob, but that's not, that's not market. So when he first started asking, uh, I started early. My first reaction is, well, it was a half hour before Shabbos. So then if you put in meat that's raw, then there's no answer because you can't stir the coals anyway because it's not going to get you anywhere. It's so raw. It's not gonna, if you want to eat it tonight, if you want to eat it tomorrow, you'll have enough time. problem is a half hour before, it's a big debate. Is that talking about putting the meat right before Shkia? Or is that 20 minutes before? People, 18 minutes before? You should line 40 minutes before? He was already running late as an American. He should have done should have 40 minutes before. So the good news is that to heat up the water takes the yeah, so takes a good twenty five oh, minutes. Has not, yeah, but it's not that it has not. You can't because it's because it's still gonna be real, right. I just put the shilas how much time? Half hour, forty minutes an hour. So I said, first of all, you have the header, it's only half hour, that takes a while to heat. That's one issue. Then I asked him, Did you have a bluff? So he said, sort of I put a tin foil was sort of sticking out. I said, you know, from now on, why don't you have it, you know, clearly showing, but he had he had basically a bluff there anyway. So it wouldn't be usher. Um, the interesting thing is that Sabah Hashem, I, uh, we saved him, and uh, they had a chant the next day, and uh, I said, even it, it was a pretty simple shot there. It was mutter for a number of reasons, and I think he, sounds like he had a, describing the way he had, he had a blech, and whether he had, he solved that mana problem, wouldn't be mocked, that's already a mock like this. So, what's interesting is that the blech helps you, even if you have macham in the side, make her a din, that's good enough without a blech. We're machmer to have a blech, even if not, but machmer just to have a mavushakotach and put up the thing one in the afternoon. But that's a, that's a chumr already. The reason you want to have a blech on your, under your chalt, in your crock pot, and on the, uh, you have an old fashioned pot, is because if you want to do chazar, which many people do when you raise the chalt well Shabbos, you want to put it back so they have chalt the next day. So it better be fully cooked 
and you need the conditions, you got to hold on to it. But the Ebed, if you had das, you didn't hold on, or you held on, you didn't have das. Mamesha holds, you can hold on and put it in the counter. If Aaron holds, it has to be lifted a bit, but you got to do it right. That hopefully somebody in the house knows. But you want to be able to put it back. A lot of chonks have bones. So, very nice. Mavushal called Tzara. You can't put it back now. Shabbos is not just Chazar, Shaila, Midabana. You can't be Mamar, Bishulu, but putting it back. It has to be fully cooked. Let's take care of the Dereza. And then you take care of the conditions and the Drabana and have a block to do Chazar. What do you do with the bones? So, Shlomo is very concerned about the bones. The bones are not. Bones get softer and softer and softer the more you cook it. They're not. There are bones in there that are not edible now, will be edible tomorrow. So why did I put it back? So Shlomo Zalman said it was a problem. Amosha said it wasn't. A lot of the had to do with the minigamokum. In America, we have real meat. And people buy expensive meat, and they're not, and they're not eating, they're not really interested in eating the bones. And Yisrael, as you know, from you ever been to an Yisrael, a real Yisrael home that is trying to make nice and Shabbos, but has a lot of kids, and they're uh, not so barafchis, they're sucking a lot of marrow out of the bones. And eating a lot of the bones. That's probably, so then it's not the, the marrow and the bone issue, and the bone itself getting softer is a big issue. Is it really Mavushal Gotzarkin? That's an interesting application. So uh, we'll have to hear. You can tell your brother, maybe give, send me some stats on, on, on which bones have what. We'll discuss it later. But Lamaisa, Chaimeza right now says the Ramam says it's also Midrabanon, only when it's either fresh, moist, or has marrow, something where like he lives. It's dry bones, no marrow. Chaim Ezer says there's no Isidraw bone at all. And that's going to make a big enough community in the Sugya. He has more sniff in Lahoko, but that's a major one over here. He says it doesn't start off as any Isidraw in the first place. So whatever you draw out of it, we're not worried about enzymes. You see that from the stomach issue. You can put the milk in. So that's a big sniff in Lahoko over here. And Amit Hashem will continue with this on Monday.